I've been delighted that uh, we can spend this time and, uh, and follow the, the lead, the prompting of, of God's Spirit through, through his, his leaders in this congregation. I don't think, my sisters and brothers, I don't think that there are two activities uh, in, in the life of a follower of Jesus that can bring greater blessing than discipleship and prayer. I really don't. I, and, and making these two things a priority in our lives will bring, it, it, it will bring blessing to us that, that I, I don't think is possible um, any other way. I think if, if, I, if I can say it this way, God perhaps reserves special blessings uh, for those who are committed to discipleship and, and prayer. And a commitment to discipleship and, and prayer will, will also bring changes in our lives. Yeah, that, that dreaded C word, uh, changes. You know, I heard someone debunk the idea that people don't like change. He said, change is not the problem. He said, it's what you lose with the change. Change is no big deal. But it's the loss that comes with change that, that we don't like. As we grow in a commitment to discipleship and prayer, it will change us. Habits and perspectives, our understanding of God, our, our, our relationships with others, how we see them, how we hear them, how we respond to them, those are all good things. They will change. So let's not fear the loss of things in our lives that, that God wants to perhaps strip away or reshape or, or refine as we grow. So next Sunday, we're going to turn our attention to prayer. And we are going to use, no surprise, as our primary text, Jesus' teaching about prayer in Matthew 6. Now, there are a lot of, a lot of prayer texts throughout Scripture, and we'll be certainly looking at those. But, but from the mouth of Jesus in Matthew 6 comes an invitation and, and I think permission to pray in a way that was certainly countercultural to his first hearers and, and could be countercultural to us as well, depending on our experience, the faith tradition that we grew up in, uh, the way that we learned how to pray. Um, I just think we're going to have a lot of fun learning together how to pray. And to, uh, to get us going in that direction and a bit of an introduction, Heather Platt's going to come up this morning and tell you a little bit about her experience with prayer. Heather, thank you. Shall we grab this? You know, and I could even turn it on. Yes, I've been told that there is a button and you have a green light. <laughs> green light means good. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. I'm really excited to get to talk to you about prayer this morning because it has changed my life. Um, I grew up in the church, and prayer when I was a child was in Sunday school class. You fold your hands and close your eyes, which I think anybody that has spent any time teaching kids will, will tell you is helpful for getting them to sit still. Um, <laughs> but then as you get older, sitting still isn't so much the challenge. It's... Um, maybe getting getting out of that mode of this is the way I have to do prayer and learning mm -hmm. how to do it in other ways. I've spent plenty of time over my life asking God for things in prayer. Uh, God, I need this. God, someone I know needs this. You know, those sorts of things. Um, but a couple of years ago, uh, Matt Granito suggested something that 
that changed me for the better, that the Holy Spirit has used to really change me. And to get into that, I want to uh, tell you a story from a couple of years ago. Um, I was in Boston about this time of year for a work trip. It was for a conference. And I'd, you know, gone through the conference, and it was busy. Um, uh, but I had been practicing uh, something called centering prayer. It's a, a contemplative form of prayer uh, for uh, some number of months at that point. And I'd made it a point through this conference to take time in the morning to practice. Um, I got to the end of the conference. It was my last night in Boston. Got to go out for dinner by myself, which was kind of a treat because, again, it had been really busy. Um, had been connecting with lots of folks in various capacities over the, the course of the week. And I you know, was sitting at the bar at this restaurant and just closed my eyes after I you know, placed my order and was just like, wow. Huh. A couple of minutes later, um, the, the person that brought over my food was like, boy, you, just, you seem like you're glowing. Um, hmm. And... You know, what is, what is it? You know, um, I said, well, I practice centering prayer and told him a little bit about it. And he was kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, oh, you're one of those. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it was not what he was expecting. <laughs> um, and then, you know, a little later in the evening, uh, the other person that was, was working behind the bar came over and we chatted for a little bit too. And I got to talk to her about it. So apparently, yeah, like I said, this this practice had, had really changed my life in a way that people that I didn't know at all were like, what is up with you? Um, uh, and, you know, uh, my husband has commented a few times as well, mostly when I have gotten off track. You know, it's been a busy season or something. And he's like, something's a little different. You're a little bit edgier. You're a little more, oh, yeah, okay, I guess I've, I've missed my prayer time for a couple of mornings. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's been too long. And again, I, I, I just have to come back to the Holy Spirit is using this practice to change my life. It's sitting still for 20 minutes in the morning. It's saying, Holy Spirit, welcome. It's starting with a scripture and then just sitting quietly. And when, when thoughts come, because they do, I have a busy brain. Um, so that's, that's not what I'm here for. Let it go. Um, again, very simple. This is not something that I have practiced perfectly or um, get just right. You know, if you if you read the the teaching on centering prayer, they suggest twenty minutes in the morning and twenty minutes in the evening. And I have not figured out that twenty minutes in the evening part. That's that's been a challenge for me. But that morning prayer time has been huge, and it has impacted my life um, in in being able to slow down a little bit more. So a situation pops up at work and. My, I have this gut reaction. Well, nope, okay, that's a gut reaction. I don't have to speak out of that. I can slow down. Um, just one example that comes to mind. So, uh, again, prayer in, in various forms has been a part of my life for a long time. Um, but, but just the, the recent um, uh, foray into one particular form of contemplative prayer has been incredibly life-giving for me. Um, and, again, it's more about showing up and making time and the Holy Spirit changing me. Um, than, than it is about me doing anything perfectly or getting something right. So thanks. Thank you. <clears throat> thanks, Heather. There should be some info in your bulletin about a uh, prayer workshop that's going to be coming up the last Sunday of this month following our worship together. Uh, we'll get you some more information as we get that ironed out, but the date is there, and Patty Thompson is coming from our conference office, and, uh, and she is someone who is is very much a contemplative and is going to uh, to give us an opportunity to to practice and experience together 
uh, a, a prayer, uh, a, a type of prayer that, that, uh, that we can use uh, in our lives on a daily basis. And the emphasis will be uh, throughout the course of the week uh, doing that prayer experience with two or three others. She's, she's going to give us a lot more on that in the workshop. I hope that, that you can plan to, to stick around and be a part of that uh, following worship that day. So, do the words on the screen look familiar? Boy, that's a good answer. Because I would just be devastated if they didn't. So, we have said from the very beginning of this series that our mission statement is all about discipleship. And, and I, I'm hopeful that, that, that there is no doubt about the sacrifice required of us individually and, and collectively if we're going to effectively fulfill that mission statement, if it's going to be something more than just the words on a, on a piece of paper or, or words in our head that, that we, have, we have memorized. So we're going to spend a few minutes this morning remembering uh, the, the main points that we have learned in these weeks of looking closely at the mission statement. And then we're going to close with some observations from a, what is probably a very familiar text. So first thing, Applewood Community Church exists. It does. The Applewood Community Church exists. We learned that the Greek word for church means those who are called out. Or another way of saying it would be the called out ones. It's a word that we find in the ancient literature that, that refers to a gathering of people who have been called from one place to another. So that we know without doubt that every time we read the word church in the New Testament, we know it's not referring to a... Oh, that was so good. It is not. Now, we refer to this as Applewood Community Church. We, we understand that. There's just kind of a nuance there, or inconsistency, but what, you know, let's don't slide into thinking that this is the church. Here sits the church in a building that we sometimes referred to as a church. I got a text from Allie this week, and the text said, Micah just told me the, pe the building isn't the church, the people are. Yeah, Micah. I, I loved it in response to, to Jesus' question in Matthew, who do people say that I am? Which Peter's proclaimed, well, you are the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. Jesus then told his disciples that he was going to build his church and he was going to build it upon that truth, that proclamation that Peter made, and the gates of hell would not stand against his church. That is a powerful image that Jesus has given us there. <clears throat> and I suggested to you that, that one of the problems with thinking of the church as the building is that it's stationary. It's not going anywhere. It just sits here. And, and that is not at all what Jesus has in mind for his church. Jesus calls people out of bondage. Those who are, who are held in bondage behind the walls and the gates of hell, figuratively speaking. He calls people out of bondage to sin into a life with God. And those people become part of the church. And the church partners with God to call others to do the same. Man, if that's not a great mystery, I don't know what is. 
that God entrusts to us that kind of a mission. Um, bold, bold and daring is our God. And that's why the church exists. So hell's gates begin to shake when we bring the news of Jesus to people so that they can know him and grow as his followers. I hope you'll keep that image in your head. Every time you bring the name of Jesus up in a conversation, be it with other believers or be it with non-believers, you can be sure that at that name, there is trembling going on in the kingdom of darkness. Thank you. Somebody needs to say something about that. That's just so awesome to me. That at the name of Jesus, writes Paul to the Philippians, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Uh, I think that kind of thing may be happening as well in the realm of the darkness. The church is God's idea. It is his creation. It exists by him and for him. And golly, that's so important to remember because we can easily and, 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 and not intentionally begin to make what we do here in this place or outside of this place together in the name of this place, we begin to make it about us. <clears throat> I mean, you've never done that, but I certainly have. We, we make it about us pretty soon. It's, it's, it's my church. No. It's God's idea. It's his creation. It's his church. It exists by him and it exists for him. Micah is right. It is the people of God. Always people, plural. The church is all about living life in Christ together, which leads us to the next phrase. Affluent Community Church exists to honor God. Remember what we talked about in, in honoring God? We learned that, that honoring God is really, excuse me, all about making God and what He desires the primary concern of our lives. If we truly believe what the Bible reveals about the nature and the character of our God, then our response will be that of, of honoring Him as the object of our worship. Not as just an object or some object, but, but the object of our worship. And worship, remember, is an activity of the human heart that's, that's created by God. It's, it's, it's hardwired into us. As a result of being created by Him, we worship. And that reality is hijacked by the enemy. And he convinces us that fulfillment and satisfaction in life can come apart from God. Doesn't matter what God thinks. Live your life. God is good and gracious and loving and forgiving. Yes, of course He is. All of those things. Thanks be to His name. But obedience is the way that God's people express their, their commitment to Him and the way that they honor Him by obeying Him. We don't... We don't commit ourselves to a life of following after Jesus and then get to live life the way that we choose. At least that's certainly not what Jesus had in mind. That's what God called us from. 
living life the way that we chose to live it into a life that he chooses for us and that we experience and begin to, to find abundance in life that we had never experienced before. Are you with me? Okay. So obedience is the key to finding satisfaction in life. The enemy and the powers of darkness want us to believe that we can find it somewhere else, that we can find it in other things. They lie. They always lie. That's all they do is lie. And they've been doing that since the beginning of humanity. You know, Genesis chapter 3 records for us uh, the, the, the disobedience of humanity to God and the ruin that followed. And ruin happens daily in the lives of people on planet Earth because the enemy has convinced them and duped them into thinking that life can be found apart from God and his design and what he calls us to. To obey God is to honor God. Applewood Community Church exists to honor God, to obey God, by developing fully devoted followers of Jesus. Now remember, we've emphasized again and again that, that discipleship is all about relationships. To be a disciple of Jesus assumes a relationship with Jesus, and it assumes relationship with others. All kinds of others. And that's maybe where it gets a little challenging and a little dicey sometimes. Because an important truth that we've learned about the church, the gathering of God's people, is that in that local church, God has put us together by His design, like parts of a human body. One of the ways that the church is described in the New Testament is the body of Christ. And so, and so here we are, eyes and ears and fingers and toes and arms and legs. And guess what? Some of us look better than others do in terms of, you know, pretty eyes or not so pretty eyes or good ears or not so good, you know. None of that matters in the body of Christ. And, and, and we, we saw that in Romans 12. We see that in 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul says, God has designed the body just the way he wants it. He gives gifts and he gives abilities just the way that he wants to. And he gets to do that because he's God. You know, I, as, as many times as I've thought that God should consult me about some things, he doesn't. And my suspicion is he doesn't consult you either. And the beauty of that is that if God's people will live in a place of surrender, that was Romans 12 language, you remember, living sacrifices, we live in a place of surrender in order that we begin to, to, to experience this unity, this, this binding together of our hearts and, and, and purpose in life that becomes, I think, the single most powerful witness for Jesus in all of the world. The body is diverse by God's design, and it is beautiful. It is God's artwork. And, and oh, that the Spirit will give us the ability to, to see and understand the beauty and diversity. And... There are other others, too. 
You know, we are all others together in this place. But there are other others, those who are not followers of Jesus. Not yet, anyway. Discipleship, remember, is a spectrum of growth. Got to start somewhere. It starts by becoming a follower of Jesus. And then becomes a life of following Jesus. Person commits and says, I want to follow this Jesus. And then they actually begin to follow. And they begin to do that with others who want the same thing. I, I don't think I said this in the series. And I hope this doesn't sound too harsh. I don't mean it harshly at all. But it was just kind of this aha this week. But it occurs to me that a solo disciple, one who's determined to follow Jesus, but doesn't intentionally give of themselves towards relationships with other followers of Jesus in that give and take that we've talked about. We give to one another. I give to you, you give to me. We grow, we stretch, we, we, we wrestle in this, this growing as followers of Jesus together. A person who's not committed to that in some form, with another person, or a, a, a couple of people, a small group. That disciple is an incomplete disciple. And it's just my opinion, but I think I can back it up. That person will never be a mature follower of Jesus. They will never be a fully devoted follower of Jesus because God hasn't designed us to do this alone. Make sense? Yeah. Jesus called individuals to follow him, for sure. And, and that's what disciples do. They, they respond to the call and they decide to follow. But he never gave them permission to do it alone. They were always together. They were in twos and threes and twelves and, and, and many numbers. But the disciples are always together. There is such an important lesson in that. That this life, as we often say, is so much better when it's lived together. And I think it's more mature and complete as the Spirit uses that, that togetherness in our lives. Discipleship is a together activity. And, and so that leads us to the last couple of statements. We, we exist to honor God by developing fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So, so what are we developing? Followers. Fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit of God who indwells every follower of Jesus speaks into and through His followers so that they can develop, grow, mature, change, which as we've said is... It's all a part of dying to self. We spent some time talking about that. It's a process that happens. We start to grow and mature and, and find ourselves on a pathway to becoming fully devoted followers when we are intentional about dying to self. And this is not physical death. That's much easier. I've told you that. You know, I, physical death, it's once and done. What we're talking about here is emotional and psychological death. The thing that keeps me from becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus is me. And it's what keeps you from becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus. You! Death to self is getting me and you out of the way. 
so that we can focus on Jesus and become we who he has called us to be. It's intentionally placing myself on the stage of life and, and living my life in such a way that the spotlight shines on God. That the applause and the praise goes to God. Because here's the humbling reality, brothers and sisters. He's the only one that deserves it. You know, his existence, his life, his being is the only being worth shining a spotlight on. Because all of our beings flow from his being. Our life comes from him. There is not a breath that you and I take that is not from our God. And so our, our goal then becomes to, to die to self. The goal of discipleship is to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, which means becoming completely unconcerned for myself and passionately concerned that others know and grow to become more and more like Jesus in every part of their lives. I really do believe that. I don't live it well, but I really do believe that. Have you heard Casting Crown's new song called Nobody? Oh my gosh. It, 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 they say it so well. You know, the, 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 the chorus in the song is, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who saved my soul. That's what disciples do. They, they give themselves to making Jesus known through their lives. Now, what's interesting to me is that the goal of discipleship is not to become a Bible scholar. But sometimes we might think that, given the activity that is put into Bible study together. I'm not downing Bible study, of course. But we don't have to be Bible scholars. That's not what the goal is. It's, it's not to memorize hundreds of verses. <laughs> For those of us who find that memorization is not as easy as it was when we were younger. Wow. Where does that part of my brain go, Lee? Golly. Unbelievable. I used to... No, well, yeah, just take this for what it's worth. I used to get camp scholarships to our church's Bible camp up in the Cascades because I memorized copious amounts of Scripture. I can hardly memorize a couple of verses these days. Uh, so take comfort from that. If you are not someone who memorizes Scripture well, that's okay, not a requirement for being a disciple. Don't have to be a Bible scholar don't have to be someone who memorizes scripture easily. The goal of discipleship is not to become a great teacher. It's not to become a leader of people. It's not to become a master prayer. The goal of discipleship is to become like Jesus. In our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. And all of those things will help us do that. But oh, how easily those things can become a distraction. We need to ask ourselves that all the time. Well, how is this activity that I am doing 
with others helping me become like Jesus. <laughs> Does our conversation include Jesus? Do we make time for Jesus in our actions and activities together? They're not the goal. They are helpful. But they can become a distraction if we allow ourselves to, to think that that's what a disciple is. And I think, too, it can become an excuse. It certainly has for me. You know, well, gosh, I just don't know enough. Where's that a requirement? Where did Jesus say, you know, go into all the world after you've known enough and memorized enough and you're smart enough, savvy enough, and make disciples? He didn't say that. He just didn't say that. So, let's stand and read a very familiar text from Matthew 28. We'll just make a few observations about it for this morning. Together, here we go. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, wait a minute. We need to read that again. That may be the most important statement in these verses. Together. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. My sisters and my brothers, these are the words of Jesus for His people. Amen. Okay, you can sit down. How many of you have heard those verses before? <laughs> yeah, a couple of times. Can't remember where it was. Believe it or not, developing fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ is not an original idea with us. You know, from the mouth of Jesus to our ears and our eyes come those words. What do you know? You know, AWCC's mission statement is what Jesus wants to do. And what he calls us to do. What a coincidence, don't you think? You know, we, we just kind of stumbled onto it all these years. So, Vic, can we put up that, that next slide? Same text with a question for you. Turn to someone and ask them, what did you notice in these words, Jesus' words, that kind of grabbed your attention? See what your neighbor thinks. Then let them ask you the same thing. Two minutes. Okay, we ready? Who wants to start us off? What, what, what grabs you? This, this, is, this is not a, you know, right or wrong. This is, what came to you? You know, what caught your attention here? Yeah. Unless, of course, we're an idiot. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> no, no, good point. That, that we can be timid. If you didn't hear Dixie, it's, 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 sometimes it's, it's we're, we're timid in, in just bringing Jesus up in a conversation. Again, assuming, you know, someone that, that we don't know and we don't know where they stand with Jesus. But, but to remember that, you know, it, it's, it's, his, it's his power, it's his life in us. And if they are offended by what we say, um, the offense is probably the fact that it's, it's Jesus. Again, 
the powers of darkness tremble at that name, brothers and sisters. It, it, it really does. So what else? God's design. Okay. What else? Other comments? And, and that's such a great reminder, no matter what age we are. Because, oh yeah, this is not about me after all. You know? Good words. Good words. What else? Mm-hmm. Wow. It's pretty singular focus there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that to me is what's so encouraging, is discipleship's all about being a follower of Jesus. So where do we start? We start with Jesus. Yeah, Acts chapter 1, wait for the gift from my Father, Jesus said, so that you can have power to be disciples, followers of Jesus. <laughs> what is it there for, Tim? It's, isn't it fascinating when you, you think of some of, the, some of the things that we have shared here in response to, to what we hear from Jesus? I think that oftentimes it, it, it's illustrating for us what we oftentimes think of in terms of evangelism versus discipleship. Um, yes, evangelism, certainly it, it, it has a place. There are those who have been given the gift of evangelism. But we've said in this series that the discipleship really begins with evangelism. You know, Jesus is saying, well, just go and, and, and tell people about me and, and teach them about me. Um, so there, there is a very real sense in which discipleship doesn't begin until a person has been told about Jesus. And, and then they have the opportunity to, to become a follower and begin to, to grow in that. But, but our, our greatest fears, I think, sometimes uh, relate to that telling folks, bringing Jesus up. But if we don't get over that fear, then we're potentially depriving people of an opportunity to to take the next step and become a follower of Jesus. And I don't say that in any sense. Oh my gosh, if we don't tell people, you know, they'll never know. You know, God is bigger than we are. And, and that can be a comfort to us, but let's don't let it be an excuse to us to not experience the blessing and the joy of bringing Jesus up in conversations uh, with, with people just to see how they respond. Vic, can we put that next slide up? This is how Eugene Peterson gives us this text in the message. God authorized and commanded me, says Jesus, to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I've commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. Peterson just captures it. I think he just, he just nails it in a way that it, it's, it's, it's fresh for us to hear. You know, I think discipleship is not rocket science. It's, it's far more important than rocket science. And truthfully, it's way easier than rocket science if, if we get over ourselves. Because remember, again, Jesus has stated very clearly that we are to make disciples, but he makes no comments at all about gifts and abilities, personality typing, level of education. The only requirement 
And really, it's implied is that we are followers ourselves. That we are following after Jesus, learning of Him and mindful of His presence in our lives. And, and of course, how is He present? Well, not in His human body. Couldn't do that. Left earth, sent the Spirit who is capable of living in all those who follow Him. And in fact, He does live in all of those who follow Him. For what purpose? Well, the Spirit is the one who gives us the strength to die to self and obey Jesus by making Him known to others and teaching them by our lives, our experience in Jesus, how to be his followers too. Okay, so you commented on that line, all authority in heaven and on earth been given to Jesus. That's so important. When we strive to make life, our daily lives, all about Jesus, we are doing so with the full authority and blessing of the God of the universe. Father, Son, and Spirit working with us to see people change, leaving the chains of a bondage of sin to follow Jesus with others who have done and will do the same. So I, I hope that we hear these words as, as important and, and urgent. Jesus would not have said them. Jesus would not have sent his followers out and as Zach reminded us, warned them in Acts, don't do this until the Spirit of God has filled your life. Jesus wouldn't have said any of these things if they weren't important and, and urgent. So I want to close this morning with a story about one of the, the world's most unique sporting events. Each year, riders and their dogs race more than a thousand miles for several days through the Alaskan snow from Anchorage to Nome. It's the Iditarod. Famous, the world's most famous dog sled race. Do you know the beginning of the Iditarod was something very serious? I, I just read this this week. In 1925, hundreds of children in Nome had been exposed to diphtheria. And at this point in history, children around the world were dying from diphtheria. It was a highly contagious disease. Widespread vaccinations were, were, you know, hadn't been introduced. The only serum to combat the disease was far away in Anchorage. So to get the serum to Nome quickly, it was first carried by train to another town, and then teams of riders, known as mushers, and their dogs, strategically placed along the path, carried the serum to Nome via a relay. More than 150 dogs and 20 mushers were involved in the heroic efforts which became called the Great Race of Mercy. With passion and great intensity, the mushers plowed through the snow with 300,000 units of life-saving serum. And they arrived in Nome 127 hours after the journey had begun. So by combining the right medicine with radical effort, hundreds of lives were saved. And yet, today, the Iditarod is just another sporting event. The teams race a similar path, but the motivation is different. They still tie sleds behind the dogs, but they're not racing to save lives anymore. How are we doing with the message that Jesus has given us? As a church, we can, we can gather people and we can go through the motions of 
of Christian discipleship, but it's possible that we can lack a sense of the life-giving message and mission that we have been given. And so, brothers and sisters, the, 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 race, the race is on, and, and the stakes are high. As followers of Jesus, we, we will put aside our excuses and enter into the mission of making disciples. I want that for me. I want that for you. More than what we're doing. We can always do more for Jesus in terms of bringing him up and talking about him and, 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 and teaching and sharing. It is his expectation. It is what he wants from his followers more than anything else. And remember, he's not called us to do it alone. He's called us to do it together. We are his church, chosen and gifted empowered by the Spirit of God to die to self. It's a doable mission. Let's do it. Praise team, come on up. And uh, lead us as we, as we close this morning and respond. May, may God use His Word and our life together to, uh, to challenge us to be the people whom He has called us to be in a world that desperately needs to know it. Amen?